AJ Jones. Yes, sir. How are you? <laughs> Good. How You're are very you? Very stripy this evening. I am very stripy. Are you ready for our weekly catch up? I am. What did we do Monday and Tuesday? We had our final week of the school and graduated our class of 2015. Which is crazy, right? It is crazy. Four years of school now done. And a total joy to see everybody graduate. Yeah, it's amazing. But marked by sadness and weirdness that we don't get to see them on Mondays and Tuesdays. It does feel weird that tomorrow they won't be there when we go in. You know the other highlight of my week? What? I got a new iPhone. Yes, you did. But it wasn't really a new iPhone. It's just the same iPhone as the one I had before, but they swapped it out because it was a fault with the screen. Doesn't matter. Still a new iPhone. Right. Still joy. And still I got to sit in the Apple store. Right. And got recalibrated. Um, what could possibly be better? <laughs> the big news, however, for us this week is that John and Carol came in this weekend and are staying with us. Yay. Welcome, John and Carol, Ornit. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You guys did so great being quiet for that whole like couple of minutes. I know. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> How weird is it you staying in our house when it used to be us staying in your house? I know, isn't that fun? <laughs> We're thinking that we should build a new house here and then you can move to Nashville and live in our basement and use Nashville as your hub. That'd be fun. That would be amazing. But I think we might get some fights. Probably true. Yeah. From Steve and the rest of the team. We can take them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We would have fun, though. We, we would. would have nonstop fun. We would. But I worry that we would eat way too much good food. We'd eat a lot of barbecue. I know much chocolate although carol you've been particularly lenient on me since you've been here about my chocolate consumption that's because yesterday <laughs> i kind of overdid it <laughs> you didn't want to be the pot calling the kettle black that's it okay, it's, but... it's not your fault we did feed you very good chocolate <laughs> very good you ate chocolate yesterday i did the coffee chocolate oh that's it and i abstained but made up for it tonight with my mexican coca-cola you only abstain because you don't eat coffee and so Still you don't a win. Like it's still an abstinence win. I'm claiming that. <laughs> All right. For those of you who may not know John and Carol, you've if you listen to this podcast, you will have heard us talk about them a lot. John and Carol are pastors in Toronto. And remarkably, in nineteen ninety four, and I'm gonna get you to tell me the story in a second, but in nineteen ninety four, the Holy Spirit visited their church and without any exaggeration or sense of hyperbole, literally brought worldwide revival which you guys have been stewarding for 21 years now I haven't, I haven't had a job for 21 years <laughs> like, in terms of consistency i i just think that's amazing and i'm sure that this story has been told over and over but i would love to hear you guys tell the story in your own words so take us back to january 20th it's a thursday night 1994 tell us what happened we were Excited and poised for something because we just returned from Argentina, uh, where we had both been prayed for and received a powerful download. Plus, we'd had three amazing prophetic words, such as, you're going to the moon. Clarify <laughs> for the literal people out there. It didn't literally say you're going to the moon. No, but. it said that th such preposterous things were about to happen that they might as well have said something as far out as you're going to the moon. Thank you for clearing it. Clarifying. And so when Randy Clark was invited and accepted to come, uh, he came in a bit of fear and trembling, thinking, you know, it's only ever happened once before. Uh, 
And uh, we are like, well, whatever happens. But um, he shared about how he had been rescued by the Lord from very discouraging, bordering on depression. And the Holy Spirit came into his life through successive seeking more of God at Rodney Howard Brown meetings here and there, and he received an impartation. And so I invited Randy to come and shared his heart, and in the end gave an invitation for those who would like him to pray for them, to come forward, and he would pray. And that's when it all happened. It just How many people are we talking about? This is a Thursday night. About 1.30, I would guess. Okay, so 130 hungry people, Thursday night, not a normal night you'd come out, just a regular altar call. Yeah, I don't know how hungry, but certainly curious and trusting enough to come along and see what's going on. All right, so far so good. We've been in church services like that a hundred times, and what happens? It's the dead of winter. It's, you know, cold, snowy, and there we are in there. And in the midst of that, when Randy said, come, people endeavored to get up, and that's when God's power hit them and virtually flattened the room. And this great commotion arose, people wailing, crying, laughing, uh, shaking, falling, etc. And um, we're all there a bit bewildered. And uh, Carol, I'm not sure what your recollection is. Um, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Lord, Holy Spirit, you have come. And then I remember looking at Mary Audrey, who was our women's pastor, and she was in another room, came through the door, her mouth went open, and she fell flat in her face and couldn't speak for 45 minutes, which is unheard of. <laughs> but the whole room was just in chaos. It was just well, she like was a bomb out for, drop. for 40 minutes yeah. on the floor. Yeah, she was. It was incredible. And have you guys ever seen anything like that before? Never. N- not, not to that degree. I mean, in Argentina. Ones and twos. Yeah, we right. saw. So describe for people who weren't there. You know, because we're so accustomed to the terminology right now. But some people, you know, who listen to this, they may have never, they might not have a grid or a paradigm for what it means to, for when the Holy Spirit showed up. So what was happening that night? If you were to describe what was happening to people, what did it look like? People got so filled and overflowing with the presence of God that they were debilitated and unable to to not only stand, they were unable to stay sitting in their chair for the most part, and people were just all over the place, totally overcome by God's power, presence, and love. So bodies on the floor, yeah, yeah people they're... laughing, crying, legs up in the air, <laughs> legs up in the air, shaking, just bouncing up and down on their seats. Oh, I mean, some were running, and it was just like a bomb dropped. And, you know, in the scriptures, it says, like, the Holy Spirit fell. Right. Well, we had, before this, we had no grid for that. Right. But, boy, we sure had it after that night. And Randy, at this point, is just super nervous, super meek. I mean, yeah. I think one of the criticisms people have is, oh, you know, yeah, these meetings, you hype them up, and it's all emotionalism. But it sounds like Randy was, A, super nervous about speaking. Yes, he was. B, 
he doesn't sound like it was very hyped up. He was just like, uh, I guess if you want me to pray for you, come forward. I That's guess. exactly right. And then the Holy Spirit showed up. So how do you, like, talk me through what happens next. So that's Thursday night. It's the most glorious thing that's ever happened. Then what do you do? How do you go home from that meeting? Very late. Excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> and excited about what's going to happen the next night. Is God going to show up again? Because um, we didn't know. Like, it happened once. and But sure enough, it happened again the second night. And by then, the word had started to filter out a little bit, so there was more there on the Friday night. And the same sort of thing happened, at which point I said, Randy, you know, we need to keep going with these meetings because we had only planned four nights. So I think by the time we got to Sunday, we called his wife, and she agreed that he could stay two more days. Am I remembering this correctly, but when you asked him to come for four days, he didn't want to because he only had three messages? Yeah, he wanted to bring his youth pastor with him because he said, I only have two messages. Oh, <laughs> two so, messages. <laughs> um, he needed someone else to bring the other two. But in actual, actually, what happened was he brought one of those messages and Randy did the other three uh, because obviously things had exploded for him also. And he, he came sort of wondering, oh gosh, we don't know if anything will happen, but... He had a profound prophetic word that he was to trust me now, says the Lord, because I'm going to begin to really use you. So so this is it. And at home, it was really funny because we would get home really late. Right. Because we didn't want to miss it because we didn't know whether God was going to come again tomorrow night or what. Right. And so it would be John on 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 a phone and Randy on another phone and they'd be calling everybody that they knew. And they were just like for hours, we got a couple of hours sleep and, and they were up on the phone. Again. They were just excited. And we didn't just, have two lines for a while. That, no, but that took yes. a week or so to get that second. Right. Line. That's true. <laughs> and then how do you go from 130 people to like, when did you start getting running into problems with space? Because word spread really quick. Really quick. I would say within two weeks, we were maxed. Yeah. And we started then to move to the banquet hall, which could hold many more, about seven or 800 in the main room versus our 400. And, uh, and so when we couldn't have the banquet hall, we'd use our overflow via closed-circuit TV. And so... How big is your church before this happens? Like, you're a church at the end of a runway on Dixie Road in Toronto. How many people are coming to your if church? If you counted them all, including the ones who didn't come, about 400. Right. <laughs> <laughs> including the ones who didn't come. <laughs> I only then, came once a month or right, something. Right. Yeah. And then within, I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but within a you know month or so, you have thousands of people trying to come to your church. Yes. And our people can't get in Sunday morning. There's a lineup, yeah. like starting, like couldn't get a chair, couldn't get a chair, couldn't get a parking spot. And was, at what point were you guys saying, "This is bigger than us"? You know, like, do you remember the first time we were like, "Oh my god!" Like when people started coming from England and Australia. Like, at what point did it tip you over to think this could be something? Well, I think by the time we'd gone into our second week, 
we had a team meeting in our favorite restaurant. We had a back room in the restaurant. The lady was a Christian and a very good friend, and that was our war room in there. And I remember saying, guys, we need to we need to plan because this could go on for a long time. And Azusa Street went for three and a half years, and they looked at me like, are you out of your mind? We th- we can't possibly do this for three and a half years. Because you're having meetings every night at this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I said, hang on, we will... We will plan to rotate in and out, on and off. This will have to be a team effort, but we are not stopping. Now, at this point, have, uh, I mean, hear me out on this one, but at this point, have miracles start happening? Of course, the very manifest presence of God is a miracle, but are people getting healed? Are there signs and wonders happening? Or is it just unbelievable glory at this point? Mostly glory, but there there were miracles happening. Uh, one guy who came in totally deaf, was like a boom, and both of his ears opened up. Nobody prayed for him. He just nobody prayed for him. Just walked in the room. News like that will spread. Yeah, I've been in conferences with you guys around the world, and you know when we do pastors' conferences, people are often asking, you know, what did you guys do to get the nations <laughs> to your church? <laughs> the very notion that you guys had some sort of slick marketing plan for this is just absurd. Just God showed up, and people were hungry, and He just responded. It was amazing because we didn't have the internet at that point. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have anything but just word of mouth. It was incredible how fast we it had spread. fax. We had phone. Yeah, and fax and phone. Word yeah. of mouth. And I remember getting a fax from Roger Mitchell <laughs> from England. So he yeah. sent me a fax. John, what's going on? Um, we're hearing stuff going on in your church. And I took his facts and wrote on it, Roger, God is moving. Get over here as soon as you can. Send it back. And when he received the facts, he read it and immediately fell out under the power. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You must have stories, you know, what I would call absurd stories like that, just coming out of your ears from over the years of stuff that God did that would have just you know, again, outside of your paradigm. So let me fast forward. So this is going on one year, two years, three years, four years. At some point, you were Toronto's most visited tourist attraction. So the customs and agent guys came to the church because everybody was coming through Pearson Airport saying, I'm here for the Toronto Revival. I'm here for the Toronto Revival. I'm here for the Toronto Revival. And then news cameras start showing up and you start getting global... I mean, I heard about it in Scotland. I mean, it went around the world. Were you, I mean, I know the answer is no, but were you prepared for that? No. (laughs) No. And then what happened when you were in the Sunday Times, you know, the British broadsheet newspaper in the Sunday Times? We're in Time Magazine. We're in Newsweek, Merv Griffin Show, um, all that kind of stuff. And then inevitably criticism shows up. This isn't God. This is all fake. You're kind of at revival leaders. This is the devil. When did you become aware that you were an international sensation and a potential tool for the devil? Like, do you remember the day? Did your team bring you headlines or were you guys just having such a good time? Well, didn't you notice? You know, I think that that sort of stuff was mixed in from almost from the very beginning. Uh, it was all proportionate, you know, so 
one or two percent of the comments contained, oh, I don't believe that, oh, it's all emotional, oh, it's just, you know. But it, it was far outweighed by all the glowing testimonies of things that had happened to people. So we didn't really pay it a whole lot of attention. I, I found in my own life and in the lives of people that I pastor that God deliberately offends the mind to reveal the heart. So, you know, the whole message of salvation is offensive to the lost, right? And the cross is a stumbling block. Right. And you get over that offense. On the other side of the revelation, it's glorious. You think, how do I ever find this offensive? And then perhaps you go to church and you see people raising their hands. And for me, that was offensive. Like, why would you raise the hand? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Yeah. Do you have a question? It's <laughs> offensive. And then, you know, for me, I studied the Bible and realized, oh, it's in the Bible. It's totally fine. So I start raising my hands in worship. And then maybe you go and you see somebody get prayed for and they fall down. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My point there is we all get comfortable with a certain level of offense till it's no longer offensive until God does something else. You guys have had some crazy stuff. I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where you're comfortable mm-hmm. with God's doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what Do you remember some of the thresholds where you're like, okay, God, I love you, but you have to help me with this. Is this you? Do you remember any of the thresholds that got quote-unquote offensive for you? Well, I think in the very beginning, um, people falling down sort of en masse, like groups of them, with piles of people, men and women piled on the floor. And it just, it was chaotic in a sense. And you're wondering, God, why do you like this? I know it's you, but I don't understand why. And um, that led us to sort of, let's get lines on the floor and make it, uh, at least a little more organized. It helped in many ways. It was like, if you want prayer, come put your toes on one of the tape lines. And that just, people organized themselves at that point, and then we could work with catchers. And You have hundreds of people a night wanting yeah, prayer. Right. Hundreds oh, yeah. of people. Yeah. And we made a point of, they've come for his presence, we want them to be touched by God. Right. What about when gold teeth start happening? Because I got used to people falling down, but I remember the night I saw gold teeth, and I just thought, "This is, I mean, this is just offensive. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Oh, come on!" And then I saw, you know, with my own eyes, amalgam fillings turning to gold. And you know, you you don't have any box to put it in, but you're just like, "I just witnessed a miracle." Did that trouble you? Was that offensive? Was that, or were you guys just so happy that God could do whatever He wanted? Well, you go first, Carol. On that I one. just think it first started in South Africa, and it was like, like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is incredible! And I remember he filled like a dentist's um, mouth with uh, with gold, and and then we just kept seeing these amazing miracles, and 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 then the young people, like you know, twelve to 16, in, instead of gold, it would turn white. And the parents would say, nope, I'm sure they had, I paid for amalgam fillings. And they did it white. And then they started happening at home. And we were just like blown away by God's absolute mercy. And when Heidi Baker got one, that was the... That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> Tell that story. Because... <laughs> Anyway, Heidi was just so, you know, because Heidi gives everything away. And so, you know, she would give her, but she had this toothache this night, and she was just asking for prayer for her toothache. So John started to minister, and he 
started to minister with, you know, anybody has a tooth problem because tooth decay all over the world is a major health problem. Yeah. yeah. And so Heidi says, well, I've got a bad tooth. And, and so, you know, put your hand on your, on your tooth and whatever, show it to the person next to you and see if God's done anything. Well, the look on her face she was just astounded. So she quickly, you know, has anybody got a mirror? Anybody got a mirror? Here? And sure enough, she had this grand, massive gold tooth where it had no pain. It was just really wonderful. And one after the other after the other. It was astounding. We saw it in Argentina and thought, fair enough, you know, they probably need dental work down there. Right. And then, like Carol said, South Africa, that's where it got going for us. A little bit in Mexico before that, and then exploded in South Africa. We brought video footage home, showed it to a conference in Toronto, and then we had like 150 people get uh, gold crowns, gold teeth, whatever, that night. And it was mind-blowing. Right. And the Lord really spoke to me because it was just, it, 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 it got a hold of my unbelief that I didn't really appreciate that I had. Right. And he's reminding me, how is it okay in Argentina, but you don't think I can do stuff like that here? And so, you know, we just had to realize nothing is impossible with him. For me, the gold teeth was one of the ways that I won some people to the Lord from from national because... They wanted to come over and see it because I've been talking about it. And then one of the VPs got a gold tooth and gave his life back to the Lord, which was amazing. But it was quite, you know, it's quite funny. I brought six people in and, you know, one of them got a gold tooth and the rest, they were all unsaved and none of them were offended at all. You know, they weren't I offended by it. anything. The people on the floor, nothing. They were just like, sure, why not? Why couldn't God do that? You know, so I thought that was quite funny. Well, it is amazing, isn't it? And, mm -hmm. uh, the criticism and the surprise often comes from Christian people or religious people who are into it only up to a certain level. Right. And so when you go deeper or when the supernatural becomes more obvious and evident, then they're shocked, really, and they're trying to find reasons why that couldn't be because it's not part of their experience. Yeah, help me justify my uncomfortableness. Yeah. It's crazy. Randy described it so well one time when he talked about many evangelicals live in a culture of unbelief. Right. Yeah, that was my experience my whole life growing up. Absolutely wary of anything to do with emotion, anything right. that can't be tested or assessed. And how do you, you know, quantify what God's doing when he doesn't want to be in a box, when he's you know deliberately purposing to offend the mind, you know that's a tricky one. Yeah, but the and child it's a stumbling likes block, and oh. it's intentionally there as a booby trap. And if you stumble at it, you lose because the whole thing is designed to cater to the childlike. Tell us what the Lord said to you when you said, "Lord, I noticed that you like it when people fall down," and He talked about the two conditions of the human heart. I love that. Yes, because he said, well, the conditions of the human heart are fear on the one hand and pride on the other. And so when he overwhelms someone in the Holy Spirit, they have to trust him to a certain degree, and that, that deals with fear. 
Pride, on the other hand, is saying things like, well, I want God, but I don't want that. And so now there's a certain stigma, if you will, or a certain humility that must go along with that. And so it's it's very much a, uh, something that deals with incorrect attitudes of the heart, teaches us to trust, get over our fear in the one hand, because people don't want to fall down. I mean, if, if they don't want to fall down and be a public spectacle right. in front of everyone, um, especially if they're fearful and self-conscious. Right. But on the other hand, if they're macho and... Uh, um, Full of pride. Pride. I'm not going to want to fall down in front of these people. And I've seen many people kind of... Carol's come along, can I pray for you? And, you know, they cross their arms and and sort of put their head back a bit and say, give it your best shot, little lady. And then she would pray for them and yell over them or something, and they would just go over with their eyes wide open in unbelief. Right, that something happened. What on earth is happening to me? And uh, so it's just a whole range of people who are very keen to have a spiritual experience, but others who were very skeptical. And he touches them too many times, so it's all good. I think the biggest thing was the change in people's hearts. Right. You know, the outward manifestations might look really, you know, crazy or bizarre or not really offensive to people watching them. But when you talk to the people and you hear what God did with them, oh my gosh, it was just one testimony after another after another. And that's what we loved, was the change in their hearts. And and they loved Jesus more than they ever had loved him before. And they wanted to share their faith more than they ever had before. According their marriages to, were better. Yeah. Their yeah. relationship with Jesus was better. Kids' relationship was better with their parents. It was wonderful. You know, after 21 years, it's hard to quantify the fruit. Because it's so exponential, you know. You, if you just take two people like Heidi Baker, what happened to Heidi when she came? And, you know, the whole fruit that came from Iris, which is absolutely rooted in her visit, being stuck to the floor for seven days and seven nights. Or you take someone like Bill and Benny, who came hungry for God and realized, we'll give the rest of our life for this. And everything that's happened out of Bethel. I mean, you know, our lives, like, you know, AG and I were just having cause to reflect that, you know, and... and in, a, in one very, very real sense, I wouldn't have the wife I have if it wasn't for the revival, if it wasn't for you guys. And so we're just one I'm couple. pretty sure I'd be dead right? if it but, wasn't for... <laughs> but then, you know, we just graduated all these students this year. That would never have happened right. had God not... Poured, you know, it's just this amazing outflow of what God's done and the knock-on effect in people's lives. And for 21 years, talk to me about how you guys didn't screw it up. Oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> right, but seriously, can you imagine if the Lord just woke you up on the 19th? It was like, hi, guys, how are you? Uh, I don't mean to freak you out speaking to you audibly and everything, but just so you know, tomorrow I'm going to give you the longest-running revival in church history. Don't screw it up. Like, you would have freaked out. And so in the end, he just drops it on you and lets you manage it. But what what would you say are some of the things you learned how not to screw up in international revival? Give us some of the things. Because there's not a handbook written for that. I think John, his love 
um, for people. And, I mean, he just so loved to see the testimonies. And so it was testimony-driven rather than um, a person-driven. Right. And he would share his platform all the time and, you know, encourage me to, to speak and encourage others to speak. And so it wasn't sort of a one-man show. Right. It was everybody. And people would come and they would say, well, John and Carol weren't even there. Right. And there was some kind of worship team that was okay, but, and I don't remember what the speaker's name was, but God met me. And that just, you know, we just loved that because it was, you know, it took the pressure off. It was all about what he was doing, not our own striving. And again and again, um, I think your love, John, for for sharing his his pulpit and sharing, uh, having people share their testimonies was that, two of the things that... That's a huge lack of control. Yeah. Well, I, um, I really have a desire to see it be kingdom-wide and global. And so we've always realized that, hey... What God wants to do is so much bigger than us. And he's graciously given us a, a portion, but it's so much bigger than us. So part of our job is raising up people and giving them visibility, those that we feel good about. Um, we want them on our platform so that hopefully they'll catch fire and go home with it. Wow. And many, many did. And so you named a couple. But there's so many of them, like uh, David Campbell from from England and Terry Appel from Australia and uh, and Frank Houston from Australia. Um, th- these guys went home with it, and it all erupted in their churches. Wow. And th- they, you know, took ownership for it and kept it going and going and going and going. And so that's what we want to see. So our motto at the, on the church, even before it broke out, was that we may walk in God's love and then give it away. And so we just kept giving it away as much as we could. Hey, more on you, fire on you, have have more. And people would get so touched. And it was not uncommon to see people out under the power for two or three hours. Unbelievable. We had a guy just two months ago at our leaders' conference. He was out for seven hours. Wow. And when he came around. He really had to go to the bathroom. He had a revelation of God's <laughs> yeah. love. Oh, I'm right. sure. And I'm sure he had to go to the bathroom, too. <laughs> but he never said that part in his testimony. I probably wouldn't have either. <laughs> so what we want to do is fill the earth with his glory. And uh, Carolyn and I learned early on that we could proactively facilitate that by praying for a person and then continuing to pray for that person. So the blessing that they were getting went deeper and deeper and more intense and stronger. And so they were ready to explode. And so as over against a light touch, there was a profound touch of God 
that ignited something within them, and then they would go home with it. So it is like a fire in as much as it's very, very contagious and um, and still is to this day. Thank you, Lord. As you reflect back on 21 years, is there anything you would do differently if you could do it all again? If you go back in time, knowing what you now know, what would you tell yourself? Is there anything you would change? This is only one thing comes to mind. I think I would be much more proactive in communicating with John Wimber and making sure that if the, if our relationship there had to come to an end, it would be much more of a congenial thing rather than an abrupt, you're out. Uh, because I think that set the revival back at one level. I think it frightened a lot of people, embarrassed a lot of people, and many were saying, ooh, maybe it's not God. Maybe we better just slow down. Because at the time, the vineyard were the cutting edge. fringe people. You know, like, I mean, mainstream evangelicals might look at the vineyard and go, man, those guys are out over the edge. So if they're rejecting this thing, dear Lord, how crazy must this be? Is that, is that what the, the feeling That's, was? That was the effect. Um, you know, all that was unfortunate, but, you know, God... God's doing it his way and things beyond our control, I suppose. Hindsight is great, but we were over our heads with trying to stay up with what was going on around us. And uh, <laughs> and, and so many of those guys were already on board that we, we just never anticipated that one, really. John Wimber had a very, very profound and godly, healthy impact on our lives for the most part. And he was one of our heroes. We we loved him. We learned so much from him and everything else. But I think he got caught in a crossfire about um, a number of issues pertaining to it, uh, the strength of it, and particularly the manifestations were a bit off the chart for him and many around him. And so all of that needs to be talked through. Right. But it was moving really fast and rapidly and... More and more, you know, um, videotapes and on and on were just spreading it all over the world. Can you imagine if YouTube was around back then? Oh, I know. Yes, and that's what excites me about another wave coming because it, it's going to be just so viral almost immediately. It's going to be uh, amazing because everyone will be, be able to watch the intensity of it all. So we do this little thing sometimes where we have a little fun doing rapid fire names. So I say a name and then you just say the first word that comes to mind when you think of that person. Okay. Are you ready? Bill Johnson. Awesome. Fantastic. Pope Francis. Amazingly humble. Joseph Garlington. Radical. Bobby Connor. Amazingly prophetic and very gentle. Fights with bears. Right, but he is gentle. He is. He's lovely. Um, R.T. Kendall, Christian statesman, awesome lover of the Holy Spirit. David Campbell, funny, very smart, very witty, full of wisdom, full of love. Mike Bickle, Mister intensely full of prayer, lover of Jesus. Uh, Lou Engel. Prayer warrior. Heidi Baker. Awesome lover of Jesus. 
Well, guys, we, I mean, we could have gone in any direction tonight. I feel like I could just sit here and mine your brains, which I've done over the years, but I'm jealous for everybody to hear about those things. Before I ask you to pray for our listeners, for an impartation, for more of the Holy Ghost, um, John, you head off to Australia in a couple of days. Where are you going in Australia? We're doing one of our leader schools in Sydney, and then I'll be visiting a church in Adelaide, Australia. Um for two days on the weekend and then going to Melbourne, Australia and being being there with the other John Arnott in Catch the Fire, Australia. In uh, That can't be confusing at all. In Catch the Fire, Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, from there flying over to Stuart and Lindley at Catch the Fire, Auckland in New Zealand. We're jealous, of course, because you can see all the people we love. This I know, time. I know. <laughs> and so... So yes. For our Australian and our Kiwi listeners, you can see John live. And then you have a big conference every year, your Catch a Fire conference, your signature conference, which happens in September. Tell us who you have coming this year. Kenneth Copeland, who we had a wonderful connection with um, 10 months ago when we were over to see Pope Francis. He was there also, of course. A whole other story we didn't have time for. Yeah. But anyway, we really, really liked him and hit it off and invited him to come. And lo and behold, he accepted. So that's great. He's coming. Reinhard Bonke, who's been with us a couple of times, is coming back to be a part of that. They are good friends. And uh, Marcus Lamb from Dayspring Television will be there also. So it is going to be a blockbuster of a conference. The Holy Spirit will be there as well. As, uh, as a special guest, He's the guest. Yeah. <laughs> and if people want more information about Australia, they can go to johncarroll.org. And if they want more information about Catch the Fire conference, you can go to catchafire.com and get tickets, all the information about that conference too. Yes. Well, guys, thank you so much. I know that you guys are here on a mini vacation, mini rest, and we've put you through the ringer tonight. But will you do us one last favor? Would you just welcome the Holy Spirit to come into the lives of our listeners, whether they're at work, in the car. Let's just get everybody full of the Holy Spirit one more time. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just so thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, for these wonderful listeners that are tuned into this podcast, I just ask that your presence would come upon them now. Come and fill them like you love to do. Come and let them fall more in love with Jesus. Let them know how wonderful the Father is. Just let your presence increase and increase and increase. Lord, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasure forevermore. The joy of being with you is unsurpassed. And so I pray that your presence would draw very near and fall upon us before us, the inward journey for us, the upward journey that is worshiping and blessing you, and then the outward journey for others, which is our mission in life. And Lord, as we get filled up with you, with your love and your amazing presence, now we have something both to worship you with and to share with a broken, mm -hmm. hurting, needy world. And so come, Holy Spirit, and fall upon your dear people right now. And just let them know that this is within their reach. This is available. It is the Father's 
will, his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And we want that kingdom to come in power and love and fill us, Lord, and equip us so that we can rise to our full potential in Christ, that our ministry would be fruitful and would bring you honor and glory. So grant it in Jesus' name. Mm, Come and let your fire fall in Jesus' name.